What will your future look like? The job you do today could be different than the jobs of tomorrow. Some see this as a challenge. At UCF, we see opportunity. A chance for you to grow your knowledge and strengthen your skills from anywhere life might take you. With in-demand degree programs and resources for your success, UCF Online can help you prepare for the future and all the possibilities that come with it. From the University of Central Florida's Center for Distributed Learning, I'm Kelvin Thompson. And I am Tom Cavanaugh. And you're listening to Topcast, the teaching online podcast. Hey, Tom. Hey, Kelvin. Hey, Tom. Why, what are we doing here in the middle of the month? <laughs> That's an excellent question, Kelvin. I, th- I think we may, have, we may have gotten lost on our normal uh, podcast release schedule. We did, we did one of these this month already, I'm pretty sure. I thought so, yeah. You want to explain why we are here once again in, in our poor listeners' feed? Yes, yes, that's right. So we are trying this experiment for the year 2020, and uh, we're going to try to do two episodes monthly, one releasing the first Monday of the month, and a second releasing, we're going to shoot for the third Monday of the month, and uh, the first will be just you and me, and the second will be you and me bringing a, a guest in in one of our interviews and see what happens. So it's going to be double the top cast. For 2020. Double for 2020. <laughs> I gotcha. It's almost yes. like we planned that. Double for 2020. Double the caffeine uh, for, well, for that's Tom. True. That is true. So, speaking of caffeine mm-hmm. and speaking of the dulcet gurgles mm-hmm. of coffee being poured into the mug you have so generously brought for my behalf. Yes. Um, what is in the thermos, Dr. Thompson? Well, Tom... Uh, today's coffee comes to us from TopCast listener Dr. Jorge Silva Puras, entrepreneurship professor at Universidad del Sagrado Corazón, which, you know, I think maybe is Sacred Heart, in San Juan, Puerto Rico, and at Hostos Community College in the South Bronx, New York. And in he the also, Bronx? Is that on purpose? I, I was he did try, that? I, I see that. what you're doing there. Uh, let's see what I could do there. He also heads up global learning at uh, Sagrado Corazon. And Dr. Silva Porras has also held several roles in the government of Puerto Rico and in the U.S. Small Business Administration. So Jorge sent us a coffee from Puerto Rico called Alto Grande. Alto Grande. Alto Grande. Since my, as you know, rudimentary translation skills are not really up to your standards, (laughs) my basic understanding would indicate this is Spanish for high big. So I thought this might be very appropriate for today's episode. So how's the coffee and how's the connection to today's episode? It's the coffee's good. Yeah. And um, and I think I get the connection. Hi, Mm -hmm. big. Hi, big. Can also be uh, like great, I think. Also, yes, you know, high, great. I think the coffee they say is like uh, super, super premium or super prestige or something. This is also their tagline. You might like this. Yeah, the coffee of kings and popes. The coffee of kings and popes. Yeah, <laughs> I, I saw this thing on their website okay. that uh, it goes back quite a while. The royal court courts of Europe and the Vatican. So, I like interesting the, the coffee of. Popes and kings, kings and popes, something like that. Okay. 
Yeah. So. Well, gracias. Yes. De nada. The cafe is excelente. Mm. Um, yeah, I enjoy it. Uh, it's. Uh, I will be sipping it through the rest of this episode. Yes, we do. <laughs> That's right. And um, and I get and I think I get the connection. Mm-hmm. So high and big. Yes. Um, today we're going to be talking about the uh, high and big world of federal regulations and Woo! policies. That's right. Yeah. Popes and kings. Popes and kings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is true. Um, so the world of, of federal policy is one that um, that is is big and does affect all of us. Yes. Right. Yeah. And uh, you know, having a having an awareness of it, I think, is is important. Whether you're a pope, a king, or just a, a poor little you know servant like us, <laughs> like us, yeah. peasants. Yes, yeah. So we have spoken broadly about the relationship of policy to online education previously on TopCast. For instance, back in episode number 28, it was longer ago than I thought it was. 28. That's right. That's 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 better Spanish than I speak. Uh, episode 28 was Understanding Policy, which was maybe a pretentious <laughs> title. Uh, today, though, we are privileged to be joined by two guests who are legitimately knowledgeable and respected on this topic. <laughs> Unlike us. Unlike us. Russ Poulin, Executive Director of WCET, the Wichi Cooperative for Educational Technologies, and Vice President for Technology Enhanced Education at Wichi, which, if you don't know, is the Western Interstate Commission on Higher Education, one of our four regional higher ed compacts in the U.S. And we're joined by his colleague Cheryl Dowd, WCET's Director for the State Authorization Network. So, Tom, you spoke with Russ and Cheryl just not long ago, last month or two, during the 2019 OLC Accelerate Conference. And while there are some important broad framing comments about policy that you all discuss, your interview focuses on some timely topics that we wanted to get out into the world sooner rather than later, right? Right. See. See. And we should probably state that this conversation is particularly relevant to the U.S., policy context, but it might still be of interest to our listeners from other countries, I would hope. Yeah, I would imagine, because they probably have their own policy issues. Um, uh, When I've traveled abroad, um, usually there's some sort of, uh, at least in the countries I've been to, the a national ministry of education, as opposed to mm-hmm. here in the U.S., where it's much more state-based and yeah. you know regional accreditation, federalist. Yeah. yeah, but um, maybe the only comments I'll make is that the the conversation that we had is um, you know I talked to uh, Russ a little bit about some of the general federal regulations that that are applicable to accreditation, mm-hmm. and then talked specifically to Cheryl about. Um, state authorization issues. And and there are some really important changes coming up uh, within the next couple of months. Actually, they've kind of already come up, and we're going to have to implement them within the next couple of months. During the year 2020. During the year 2020. Yes, thank you. If you're listening to this at some point in in the far distant future. Um, this, this Centuries all, from now. That's right. When <laughs> <laughs> the archaeologists unearth this and say, is this what they were doing? Yeah, that's right. Um, so maybe well, rather than me blabbering on about what we talked about, let's actually listen to what we talked about. Can, can I make one plug here? Um, yeah. Because I didn't know this. You probably did. But in the interview, quote, the Federal Register, unquote, is mentioned several times. Right. And for those listeners who didn't know, and like I said, I had to look this up for myself, the Federal Register is the official journal of the federal government of the United States that contains government agency rules, proposed rules, and public notices. It's published every weekday, except on federal holidays. We have a link to it in the show notes, but 
That'll, that gets mentioned several times. It does, yeah. Uh, yeah. Good, good point, because if you don't live in this world, you might say, is, huh? it, is yeah. it a law? Is it what? Why is that? You know, because like here at the university, we have um, – we have laws that we are bound by because we're a public yep. university, but then we also have regulations that mm-hmm. are institutional, and we have regulations that are system, and, you know, so th- this is similar, but at a federal level. Yep. Good. Now okay. we can cut. Now, now through, through the magic of podcast time travel, here's the interview with, with Russ and Cheryl. Cheryl and Russ, thank you for being on TopCast. Oh, it's so great to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us. Absolutely. So we are in this scintillating world of government regulation and policy. It's great. It <laughs> <laughs> was a, a long pregnant pause yeah, there. Fun, fun with regulations. Yes, I actually yes, am yes. Per- personally very interested in it, <laughs> and I find it fascinating. And it's one of the reasons why I go to the WCET annual meeting, because I learn so much. And as we were sort of chatting before we pressed record, um, the, the session, Cheryl, that you did uh, this year on state authorization in particular, it, people were like, lined up against the walls and sitting on the floor there was it was a lot of interest in this yeah there really was yes yeah so um maybe maybe that that is a good place to start like you know why is policy so important to the work that we do in online learning you know, it's not just about course design and faculty development i mean this is a huge piece of it that has a huge influence on on so much of us yeah and and it's and it's important to realize that policy could come from several different places because we'll we'll be talking mostly about the federal policies today, but you could have states have their own policy because they have their interests, accrediting agencies. That's another one we all uh, dearly love and and work with them. And then uh, institutions have their own policies. And and typically these all come from a a couple of different places. And uh, probably one of the most important one is in terms of uh, while we often don't want to think of students as consumers uh, uh, or as the client, you know, as the clients out there, that right. there is a consumer protection aspect. We want to make sure that if we say something about uh, what we're offering, that that indeed that is what what we're offering, and so that that we have those issues. Um, another one is I often like to say that you know some of the policies are somebody did something dumb and they want to make sure you don't right. do it dumb thing as well. And so <laughs> you're in the state of Florida. <laughs> we are we're famous for that. And you talk about consumer protection. You know, it, it took a while for us to get into SARA, the state oh, authorization right, 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 agreement, right, right. because so many bad actors just just kind of filter their way down to the bottom of the country here and collect in this little peninsula. And, you know, we had so many little storefront, you know, diploma mills. And, you know, it, it, the folks in Tallahassee took consumer protection really seriously. Yeah, huh? well, it, well, and I've heard, you know, Florida is an interesting place for all sorts of things. It is, so, yeah. definitely is, yeah. <laughs> so Florida Man is a nice account to follow on Twitter. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I'll have to, have to look at that. Yeah. But, but yeah, but a lot of it is is um, you know just making sure that we're we're treating people uh, correctly, and so that and then the other part of it too has to come uh, with protecting investments uh, that the federal government has put a lot into federal financial aid. The states have put a lot into their institutions, and uh, you have all these, and so they want to make sure that the investments are going where where they intend. Yeah, makes sense, um, and and I think it, it sort of levels the playing field, right, for everybody, and, right. and makes sure that yeah, everybody's that's the theory. Protected. That's right. <laughs> when it's working, right? Correct. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Well, maybe maybe we can kind of start with um, uh, some of the the new uh, regulations that have accreditation implications, and um, you've been talking about some of those some of those recently, and, and maybe you can hit a few highlights that would be germane to our listening audience. Oh yes, yeah. So there's. Uh, 
Out of the regulatory efforts that have happened this year, that there are three packages that are that are coming out, and the first one uh, was released in the Federal Register on November 1st of this year. And so these are rules that will be going into place uh, no later than July 1st of next year. And so, and there's a bunch of them. And so, <laughs> and so institutions. Well, let's will, say July 1st of 2020. 2020. Yeah, because yeah, this, this may not make it oh, in okay. 20. Oh, okay, yeah. so July 1st of 2020, yes, yeah, that, that, that's, uh, it'll be no later than that. There are some that could go into effect earlier, and Cheryl will talk about, about those and what happens there. But so we'll, there's, there's several of them, but we'll highlight a few just to let you see uh, uh, what's, going, what's going on. And one has to do with uh, uh, student identity, so making sure that the student who takes a assessment is the same one who uh, is the one who registered for the course, and that they right. used to have something around that that had to do with, uh, you had, uh, they gave the example of an ID or face-to-face -face proctoring, and then they had some weird language about, or some other electronic thing. That wasn't, yeah. that wasn't exact language. I know the, uh, uh, the SACS accreditation requirements, which, which we live by here yeah. in, in the South, and, and it was really, you know, a unique username and login is the minimum right. standard. Mm -hmm. Right. And yeah, and how did that work for us? So yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, certainly that's not the minimum that we do. Right. <laughs> and so we do more. And so, so in the, and I was part of the uh, subcommittee on negotiations that actually at one point that we had it written in there that we were we looking at this for all students, uh, not just the distance ed students. Sorry, I lost. Uh, so <laughs> those big lecture halls. Who's sitting <laughs> that's in right. There. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So it's for, it's for, uh, so this regulation is for uh, just the distance ed students, and they took out those items uh, about, they took out the items that had to do with uh, the logins and all that. And by doing that, what, they, what they're really doing is that they're saying they're, there's a lot of interest in working with the accrediting agencies, and the idea is that the accrediting agency is supposed to work with the institution, so that the institution comes up with, here's what we do, and here's the evidence of why it works. Mm -hmm. And so it'll be interesting to see the accreditors just got this too, and so it'll be interesting to see what each of them do in terms of, okay, exactly what are they going to expect of institutions. So we, we see the direction. We don't know exactly what the uh, accreditors will do. So, But I, I would expect probably a higher standard out of more, more, most places. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, are, there, are there other regulations that you think would be of interest? Yeah, there's another one that came out of, there's uh, been a lot of talk about regular and substantive interaction. Oh, yeah. And that's one that actually did not come out in, in this. Uh, it will be coming out very soon, and we'll, we'll see more about this. But I talk about it because it was very hard to write a regulation about regular and substantive interaction for things like competency-based education that, by definition, are not regular. Right. <laughs> as, and, and I know I tried, uh, as long as others on the team who tried that. And so, But one of the things that came out of that that is in these accreditation regulations uh, is the idea of some sort of uh, flexibility that accreditors can give for innovations that we don't, we can't even imagine yet, and so that as long as the institution is protecting the students and that they're uh, they're following most of the guidelines, that the accreditors can allow some leeway. And it'll be interesting to see how that gets put in. So that that's uh, so the things that we can't quite fit, like competency-based education, or is there a way? for that or other things that we can't imagine to uh, to have it. So that that's a, a, a great plus in my book. Yeah, I think that's that's great. And it's something that, that a lot of us have been advocating for for a long time. I mean, hopefully some other areas of the federal regulations around financial aid or other things that are limiters for us and some of that kind of innovation will, will also evolve. Sure, sure. Yeah. 
Yeah, and then there's uh, a couple. I'll do just a couple more. I could mm -hmm. I could go on for quite yeah, a while. Sure. And I, I know you you only have so much time, but uh, so one that looks like they're looking again at uh, uh, if a distance ed program grows by more than fifty percent, that's an automatic review. That's mm. something to look at. And they also looked at uh, in something completely different. Looked at the standards for uh, faculty and dual credit that they gave more leeway to the accrediting agencies uh, to allow more leeway for, for different types of faculties so that you, it's for those dual credit that you don't have to have as high as standards as maybe you would for an R1 institution. Whether accreditors or institutions will do anything with that, we'll see. Hmm. But at least they're trying to address some of the issues we've seen in the past on dual credit. And are there some resources we can link to, maybe at WCET for the, for the yeah, we'll yeah, put them in it, the show notes? Yeah, yeah, and so so be watching on, uh, so on uh, WCT, uh, on our website and also uh, WC, our blog uh, is wcetfrontiers.org, mm -hmm. altogether wcetfrontiers.org. And we've been writing up on these and, and we'll do more. Great. Well, let's, uh, let's turn Cheryl to the wonderful world of uh, state authorization. And, and, and the wonderful word of reciprocity, right? Oh, that's true. That's true. That's a part of the packages yeah. that came out. So when we talk about that there, Russ was indicating that there are three packages likely that the department's been talking about uh, putting these consensus regulations together to uh, put out. The first came out at uh, November 1st, was announced in the Federal Register. And the four of the regulations had to do with state authorization. Mm -hmm. And what the department decided is evidently the secretary has the authority to designate certain regulations to um, be uh, immediately implemented subject to the discretion of the institution. Um, so these four federal regulations in regard to state authorization may be implemented by the institution now or they may wait until um, July 1, 2020. And so I, I bring this up only because it was very interesting listening to Diane Auer Jones at the WCET annual meeting just recently, where she indicated that, uh, and this is something that we advocate as well, of and, course. And Diane is a high-ranking official you, in, yes. in the, yes. Depart yes. Department, the Department of, of Education. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. so we were fortunate to have her to be able to give us firsthand advice and suggestions for how an institution might look at this. And what was really important was that the institution should, at a high level, make this decision Decision about whether they want to early implement and make that a process at the institution and they should document that process and so then we also indicate that not only are they making this decision and documenting the process that they've chosen and which way they they choose to implement but also show um, some evidence that they are implementing it in the manner that they determined so so in that there were four different regulations the mm -hmm. first one uh, was one that they've been trying to put in the in the books and, and ready to go since 2010 when it was released in its first form, the 600.9C, and uh, what that did is it tied um, participation in HEA Title IV programs to state compliance. That's the one that got everybody's attention originally. It did, yeah. it yeah. did, and so that has taken off, um, and although that didn't come into play because of a lawsuit and other drama that you can you can add into that with other negotiated rulemaking in 2014, et cetera, et cetera, um, we do have this in place right now, and uh, that came out of the 2016 regulations, which we could go on and on about, but my point here is that right now, 
now we know that institutions must be compliant either state to state or they have the option of being compliant by reciprocity. And so the idea of reciprocity was defined and that's that you can find in the federal regulation. So they're defining the ability for an institution to participate in reciprocity. It's because reciprocity is an agreement between two or more states um, to have certain uh, processes in place and if an institution meets the requirements of the state then they can offer their programs under this reciprocity in all the states that are members of reciprocity. So there's that, so that's two of them. And then there is um, there are the disclosures, and that is something that really has gotten people's attention yeah. about how to yeah. manage that. Yeah. So We've been were, having a lot of meetings on campus about this. Oh, <laughs> we're, we're having meetings as well about what can we do to help support institutions mm -hmm. to create processes to do this work because it's a challenge. And it's not just online. N the new regulations have now required that it be for all modalities. Right. So that is another point. So the 2016 regulations, which we said will be currently in place, are currently in place and will be in place until July 1, 2020, um, or the institution can implement the new regulation because when July 1, 2020 starts, um, the uh, rules will be substituted. So it'll be the yeah. 2019 is adamant that that be in place by then. Yeah, and these are for programs that lead for professional licensure, yes. right? right. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now, there are other disclosures yeah. that are part of that. Yeah. If one was looking at the regulations from 2016 that had to do with distance education, the department chose to remove that section. But what they said is that those, the, most of those were already required in other parts of the Code of Federal Regulations. So uh, they just pointed to these other regulations that cover that for complaints um, and other matters, um, refund policies, et cetera. But in regard to professional licensure disclosures, that was added to um, the federal regulations for all modalities. So regarding the kind of professional licensure, because that's, I think that's a, that's a big one for a lot of schools to deal with. So if you've got a teacher education program or a nursing program or a, you know, a counseling program or something that, that has a licensure requirement, um, having that disclosure to students in another state, there are three different kinds of um, statements that the institution can make now. I wonder if you could kind of walk Sure. through what those are and what the implications are for those? Well, from a federal standpoint, for, for purposes of federal compliance, there are general disclosures, and general disclosures require that the institution look at the program and determine if the curriculum meets the educational requirements in other states. So you could make a list, you are to make a list, of which states the curriculum does meet the um, educational prerequisites, a second is that it does not meet, and then a third, that the institution has not made a determination of whether the curriculum meets the educational prerequisites for licensure or certification in that state. And that's for general disclosures. Right. So for that third category, the one which is the kind of, uh, we're not sure if we right. meet, uh, we haven't determined. Um, a question came up at the WCET annual meeting uh, in the fall um, about that, and I thought it was an interesting question. One was, uh, does that mean that there's some time limit that you have until you can determine? Um, but then I, I noticed that, that Diane Hour Jones, when she was asked a similar sort of question around that, it was more in the context of it would require too much of an investment for the, the two students we have in that category that we don't want to put that burden on the institution. And those seemed like kind of two different answers. Like one was 
we don't know if there's a time limit, and the other is um, it's up to you as an institution to determine if this is worth your time and effort. Well, and that's what I got out of hearing her speak as well, and after reading the, the section of, do of the document before the regulations, is called preamble. So in reading that, they really did want to put it on the institution to determine, but they also thought that it could be a marketing benefit to the institution to actually make decisions so, that the, so the students who are looking at the institution can make valued choices. Yeah. So there, there are those options. But I, I do, the, I think one of the biggest things to point out is that this is for federal compliance because state compliance and reciprocity compliance may be different and have higher thresholds than the federal compliance. So I think institutions right. need to be aware of that and separate state compliance from federal compliance because as Diane Hour Jones pointed out and also you read in the preamble that the federal regulations do not absolve the institution from being compliant with what's required through state or reciprocity. Do you think that, that um, some like uh, organizations or consortia will start to kind of fill in some of those gaps? Because I know, for example, at, at our institution at UCF, the, the College of Nursing is looking at the National Nursing Compact and basically saying, if you're in that, then we know. And if you're outside that, we're actually not even going to admit you. Um, have you seen any trends like that with, with organizations like that? Well, there is the nursing that, that mm. we have heard, and then there are certain teaching compacts, but all of that is post-licensure. Okay. Um, so I, I, I do think that that's something, once we get communication out about these concerns, and that's something that we're trying to take an active role in, because we don't know if the professional boards are really as aware of what these requirements are. So we want to let all of the communities know that are affected by this, right. so that we can maybe have these conversations you know, in the years to come. But currently, I think Russ may have some additional thoughts on that. Yeah, and it is really hard w within the professions because you have to go profession by profession, yeah, yeah. Uh, discipline by discipline in order to uh, make, this, make this happen. And there hasn't been much that's been compelling them to do it because we've been talking to them uh, <laughs> up to this point. And then now there's something a little bit more, A, this is a little more compelling. Uh, the other is, is that the one is farthest along, as you brought up nursing, mm -hmm. uh, is that they actually have uh, something that in draft at the pre-licensure area that would help for this, where that it would be an agreement among uh, states that they could put out there. And that what happened was that they decided to hold off on doing that because they wanted to go back and promote the post-licensure. It got stalled at uh, the post-licensure reciprocity agreement. Got stalled at 25 states. They've rewritten it. Now they're up to 30 some states. I think they're hoping to be 35 by next mm -hmm. after next legislative session. And so now we're maybe to the point and we've started the discussion with them about can we resurrect that, uh, the one at the pre-licensure? Because I tell you, it's a model. They've done a really great job at the National Council of State Boards of Nursing. And, it, and if we can get that one going, and it will take a while, even if we could get it going today, uh, to get the, get that rolling, that it would be a model for others to to go by. So there's some things there, but don't hold your breath and don't wait for it. So right. yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 understood. Yeah. Well, thank you both. This has been like a really great quick flyby. Uh, <laughs> for sure. Lots of things. Um, yeah, and there's certainly a lot more we could talk about. But um, this is uh, kind of an ever evolving topic, right? So if you are open to it, um, I hope you'd be um, you know, willing to maybe uh, talk about this again as things evolve and the TopCast audience is, <laughs> is dealing with all of these regulatory changes. We'd love to do so. Oh, yeah, absolutely. and yeah, thank you for inviting us here today. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you very much. Thank Great. you.
Well, that was your interview with Russ and Cheryl, Tom. It was, yeah. Um, I really enjoyed the conversation with them. I always learn something talking to <laughs> either one of or both of them mm-hmm. um, or attending their sessions at various conferences. Uh, as I said in the interview, the, the session that Cheryl had about state authorization at the WCET annual meeting was uh, – it was standing room only. Like, you, yeah. you couldn't even get in the room. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was no seats because uh, people were really interested in it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you look at, at what these new regulations um, – well, the deadline related to these new mm-hmm. regulations, I think that's one reason why there was so much interest. We're looking at a July first, 2020 implementation deadline. Um, obviously, we, you can Im- implement prior to that, mm-hmm. but <laughs> you can't wait past that. Mm-hmm. Um, so there were a lot of people there wanting to know, what does this mean for me and what do I have to do to make sure I'm in compliance? And a little shout out, we are adding a link in the show notes on the website, topcast.online.ucf.edu to a very substantive Frontiers blog posting on this specific topic. Yeah, and I would I would encourage you to sign up to receive the, that that mm-hmm. publication, the Frontiers um, kind of uh, blog that comes out um, regularly from WCET because the, they, they've got really the most thorough and up-to-date information um, from pretty much any source. Mm-hmm. So, um, I don't know, did, did you learn anything, Calvin? Oh, I... <laughs> <laughs> what a loaded question. That you question. didn't already know. No, I, 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 don't, I don't live this policy stuff as much. I mean, it's like uh, policy is an acquired taste. I have to, I have to work at you know, getting my head around that stuff. I don't live in that world, have difficulty navigating the, the federal register because I'm not there every day, didn't right. know what it was, that kind of stuff. Um, so, yes, all kinds of things and nuances. And I'm just glad that people like Russ and Cheryl are on the wall keeping <laughs> us. <laughs> that's right, patrolling that wall, keeping us safe at yeah. night. Yeah. yeah right. No, it's true. And, and you know, I think you, you get to an interesting point because um, a lot of what we talk about on this podcast and I think a lot of the folks that – listen to this, um, may be more involved in sort of the day-to-day uh, course development and yeah. instructional design, you know, faculty practice, effective instructional practice, yeah. as well as maybe some leadership stuff that we talk about. Uh, and, and we don't talk about this kind of behind-the-scenes policy stuff as often, as mm-hmm. you mentioned. We did on episode 28 previously. But mm-hmm. um, in many ways, it has as much influence as mm-hmm. any of these other things on, on what we do when you mm-hmm. think about um, the the, uh, the requirements for compliance that that will drive some of the decisions in practice. It was highly strategic, yeah, and structural, and um, there's a, a big uh, sense in which that is leadership itself. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and it, you cannot um, ignore it. So, if if you are an online learning leader at your institution and you're listening to this and and, I, and I'm sure you're doing stuff related to state authorization and mm-hmm. compliance, but it, but if you don't have somebody whose responsibility it is to track this stuff mm-hmm. and at least just keep a one eyeball on it at all times, mm-hmm. um, then then you may be putting yourself at risk. Yeah, for sure. Well, that being said, you want to formally land this plane with a little summary? Sure. Let's let's see what we got here. Um, so much of our daily online education work relates to the preparation for, design and development of, and teaching in support of online courses. However, as I you know, kind of was just alluding to behind the scenes, with implications for all of us are policies and regulations that structure our daily work. Mm-hmm. And uh, it would behoove us to all pay attention to those mm-hmm. policies and regulations. Yeah, well said. Well, the only plug I'll make this month is, uh, hey, we're going to do this twice a month for 2020. So <laughs> so stay tuned. That's right. And if you get tired of it, uh, don't wait till 
December of 2020 to tell us. Shoot <laughs> us a note at topcast at ucf.edu and just tell us to back off or something. We'll, <laughs> we'll take it under advisement. But give it a month or two. That's right. You get decide, used to it. We, we do have some excellent interviews coming we, up. We really do. That being said, until next time for TopCast, I'm Kelvin. And I'm Tom. See ya. See ya.